Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 27th. I'm back home at my parents' house this week in Michigan where our podcast was founded. My older brother getting ready to head off to business school. My younger brother about two weeks away from shipping off to undergrad. And again, I say that tentatively. Hopefully both of them are able to actually carry on with their college programs. Uh, But of course, just because I I am at home does not mean our Crack Rackets content won't keep rocking and rolling as we inch closer and closer to the proposed return dates of both the ATP, ITF, and WTA tours. Of course, we learned that the City Open going to be canceled for both the men and the women this year in D.C., but we do have two WTA events, again, tentatively scheduled to begin the week of August 10th, the WTA event in Palermo, as well as the brand new event in Nicholasville down at with our friends at Top Seed Tennis Club in Kentucky. Uh, it's time to get excited if you're a tennis fan. And again, a lot can change between now and then, between the spike in case numbers in various regions of the globe. Of course, the travel restrictions put in place as well across the globe. There are still a lot of logistical challenges, a lot of things that need to go right for us to see those events be played. Of course, we will learn this week about the entry lists for the Western and Southern Open in New York, and of course that's followed by the new, uh, U.S. Open. Again, that three-week stretch in New York going to be something different than any of us tennis fans are accustomed to, uh, but we have gotten the chance to see some of our favorite professionals back in action over the past couple of weeks, months really. You know, there have been exhibitions taking place across the globe, things like the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, things like the Eastern European Championships, the U.S. Pro Series, you know, the Grand Slam Tennis Tours event, the, I think that's called the Match Play 1. There have been a lot of opportunities to see our favorite players play, but perhaps none of them have been as enjoyable as the most recent World Team Tennis season, which we are now two weeks into. It's been a fantastic season thus far. So many great performances from so many great players, you know, different storylines to follow, whether it be the success that someone like Kim Kleisters has had or the up-and-comers who have had success such as Brandon Nakashima or, you know, I suppose they're already here. They're not up-and-comers, but the success of young Americans like Taylor Fritz, Sophia Kennan as well, Tennis Sandgren, Jessica Pagula have both been spectacular. It's been a really fun season, and again, it's going to lead to a really fun home stretch week three as we try to sort out who is going to make these 2020 World Team Tennis uh, playoffs, which team is going to have the chance to bring home that $500,000 in prize money offered to the winners of this event. And so, of course, joining me today to preview Week 3 in the World Team Tennis season is the man who joined me last week as well to preview Team uh, Week number 2 to talk about what life is like on the grounds right now at the Greenbrier, how different it is for all these players, how they're all adjusting, acclimating, to the current circumstances. And of course, he is also one of the most handsome men in tennis media, a returning champion here on our Crack Rackets podcast. Mark Lucero joins the show today to again talk about the top performers thus far during this World Team Tennis season, to talk about the teams that have performed the best and maybe why they have done so, offer our favorites uh, to say who we think is going to emerge, you know, out of these playoffs as the 2020 King Cup champions of this World Team Tennis season. Uh, because 
because again, we've seen so much great tennis. So just to give you all a little bit of a primer of what to expect this week. I also have a little bit of fun on this podcast with Mark as we always do, but I started offering him up some fake trades because trades, free agency, the draft, all part of the world team tennis season, all part of the world team tennis experience. But I will say folks, I offer him up a couple of fun trades. I don't think any of those are going to happen. The trade we did see happen this morning, and I'm recording this on Monday morning, and this was breaking news, wasn't available to us when we were recording the pod last night. But we had a trade, folks, in the World Team Tennis season, and it is a trade that was shocking to me because the New York Empire, in my opinion, and again, this is just one person's opinion— absolutely fleecing the San Diego Aviators. They take uh, in Nicole Melishar, Coco Vandeweghe in response for Veta Peshki, Sabine Lasicki, and financial considerations. By the way, shout out to financial considerations. Welcome to the tennis lexicon. I've been wondering for years when I'm going to get to say financial considerations outside of, will they have to play the U.S. Open because of the financial considerations at stake? No, we are talking about team tennis here, trading up, you know, cap space or financial assets in the future to clear up some space for the San Diego Aviators who, let's be honest, they have not had the greatest of seasons thus far in 2020. You start to look at their roster. Um, Yeah, there's some rebuilding that needs to be done. Certainly Ryan Harrison uh, has been a staple of world team tennis, but he, Johnny O'Mara, Christine McHale, you know, they just weren't getting the job done this year. They are currently 3-8, and eight, tied for last, you know, 8th place, tied for 8th in the World Team Tennis standings. Not shocked to see them blow things up, but to give up Coco Vandeweghe, to give up, you know, these sort of Nicole Melishar, these sorts of assets uh, to the New York Empire, that's dangerous, folks, because the Empire are right on the precipice of competing. They are right there, and with these additions now, you take a little bit of the burden off of Kim Kleisters. You have Nicole Melishar. You have Coco Vandeweghe to play doubles or play mixed doubles in a crunch time uh, where you can add, you have Kleisters only play singles or get some rest if needed this last week. This Empire team is very dangerous and they have really solidified themselves now as the favorite to win that fourth spot to qualify for the playoffs. They're currently a game up on the Washington Castles who have been good. You know, you look at the Castles, you look at their roster, what they're able to to bring, you know, Bernardo Pera has been playing better for them of late as single at singles. Tommy Paul has been pretty solid as well. Uh, you look for the Castles, though, you know, they're eighth in terms of men's doubles. That's not great. They're sixth in terms of men's singles. That's not great either. You start looking at things such as women's doubles. Again, for these Castles team, uh, they are currently for women's doubles in seventh place. So you look across the board, and, you know, they're not getting blown out at any flight, but they're not a top three team in any flight either. And so, you know, yes, they're only a game behind right now, the New York Empire. Anything can happen in the World Team Tennis format. It's shortened sets up to five, no ad scoring, breakers at four all. Half the time, these matches are toss-ups anyways, and that's half the fun of this World Team Tennis season. But if you're the Empire now with Vandeweghe, with Melishar, with Kleisters, with Sock, I mean with Skupski as well, I don't want to throw him out because he's been an exceptional doubles player, and then the institutional know-how of head coach Luke Jensen. This is a 
big trade. I mean, the Empire are the biggest winners in this trade, and it's not particularly close. They, you know, it's like when you give up an expiring contract to a team, and you know that team gives up bloated salary. The team gets back who gave up the good player on the expiring contract. They get bloated salary, and you're just like, why did this team do this trade? Uh, because they're blowing things up, and it's clear the San Diego Aviators are blowing things up now. I just think they could have yielded higher return for Coco Vandeweghe or Nicole Melishar. I mean, the fact that they didn't get at least Haley Baptiste out of this, or, you know, I know they got future financial considerations, what those financial considerations are, you know, I can't speak to that, you know, maybe they're paying the entirety of the aviator's salary this year, and it's like, okay, I guess that's worthwhile, especially given the circumstances, but Empire are the big winners in this trade, and if they don't make the playoffs now, it will be more surprising than if they make a deep run into the playoffs, make the finals, maybe even get an upset win in the semifinals, because this sort of win now gives them the talent. You know, they were always a woman short. They always just needed a little more pop in women's doubles. Kim Kleisers has been as good as any player in the World Team Tennis season. In fact, you look for Kim Kleisers. She, You could argue she's been the MVP of the year thus far, but you look for them in in women's doubles. The Empire's second right now, which is pretty good, but again, they now have that added range with Vandeweghe and Melishar, who were, you know, I think you look at them, the women's doubles for San Diego, they were eighth, but they haven't been the only ones playing women's doubles. But you look for Coco Vandeweghe individually, she's been 26 and 15 in women's doubles, which is the third best differentiation, or tied for first, I suppose, with the duo of Maddox Sands and Bouchard. So individually, they get an exceptional doubles player in Coco Vandway to fill that slot. And then again, in mixed doubles now, they've got options. They can turn to Coco Vandeweghe. They can turn to Belashar. They can turn to Kim Kleisters. They can do a bunch of different things. And as I mentioned in this podcast you're about to hear with Mark Lucero, that's the key to having success in world team tennis is being able to have multiple options, being able to, you know, I, I'm, the word that I'm looking for here is escaping my mind, but be able to play with variety in your lineup, you know, different pathways to winning the match, and I think the Empire have that now, so that was just a little bit of additional news that broke after the conversation with Mark Lucero, Uh, but obviously Mark and I talk about all these things in the World Team Tennis season. We talk about, you know, the recent announcement that the ATP Masters and uh, 500 events, all of the entire China swing for the WTA circuit as well, called off for the remainder of 2020. You know, I ask him if he anticipates tournaments will try and fill the gap in that time slot, other tournaments from throughout the year that were canceled earlier, or whether he just thinks we're going to have a shortened season. And even if we only get two months of tennis, if, you know, if it's just going to be this race to get those two months of tennis in, and that's all we're going to see for this 2020 calendar year. It's a fascinating conversation, as it always is when Coach Lucero is willing to come on the show. And of course, uh, listen to him 3 p.m. today on the Tennis Channel call if you want to hear him do a little bit of world team tennis play-by-play. Of course, the reason we are able to hear him on this podcast and have the sorts of conversations we are able to day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from our sponsors, and no sponsor has been supporting either us nor people in the tennis world for uh, better over the past 30 years than our friends at Midwest Sports, which has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers, as I mentioned, for more than 30 years. And actually, last week, if you want to hear about the newest supplies, if you want to learn about everything going on at Midwest Sports, you don't have to hear it from me. Go check out the Great Shot podcast we did last week with product manager Dave Limke of Midwest Sports talking about the latest apparel, whether it be the newest shoes they're offering, the newest frames, the strings, 
all the different things because there is so much nuance that goes into picking the correct tennis equipment. No pair of shoes is going to be perfect for every player. No racket frame, no string. The good news is if you don't know what works for you, you can turn to the staff at Midwest Sports who are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. You can, again, find all of these products by going to MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. You will get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, you'll get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Midwest Sports wanting to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. So, Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, as we always say, the equation is look good, feel good, play good. You're going to look good once you turn to Midwest Sports for your needs. To feel good, you're probably going to want to up your nutrition game, up your fitness game. And that's where our friends at Aerobar come in. Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar available on the market. More potassium than a banana. It's exceptionally delicious. It's why players such as James Blake, Michael Russell, uh, and more have all turned and support it now because again you're just putting good stuff in your body you know you're getting the sort of nutrients the right sort of sugars you need to rebuild and even if you're not playing tennis day in day out as I always say it's turned to my breakfast option it's not going to make me feel heavy it's not going to make me feel drowsy it's just going to give me the sort of boost I'm looking for to kick my day off the right sort of way so go to aerobar.com use our promo code cracked 15 you'll get 15% off your order of course I implore all of you to listen to our Thursday episodes of getting to the point here on the mini break with our friends Andrew Goldlob, Mark Aerosmith from Aerobar. We've had so many great conversations. Lauren Embry of the University of Florida Women's Tennis Assistant Coach joined us last week. That one was particularly enjoyable. Uh, but of course, we've had people like Jay Berger, Michael Russell, Richard John Menzing, Bjorn Fertangelo as well. So be on the lookout for all of those. And again, you can support our friends at Aerobar by going to their website using our promo code CRACKED15, letting them know that we sent you there. Of course, if you're looking for another daily fix, be sure to listen to our GSP Ace of the Day, brought to you by our friends at DraftKings in case you are trying to get in on the action. I promise I'm going to be reversing our fortunes here this week. Uh, But I never have to reverse our fortune. I never have to worry when we have Mark Lucero on the podcast because I always know it's going to be a good show when he joins us. So, without further ado, Let's talk about the at home stretch of this 2020 World Team Tennis season with our friend, Crack Rackets returning champion, Mark Lucero. That conversation coming up right now. Joining us on the podcast once again to kick off this week is a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast. You know him as a contributor as Tennis Channel, professional tennis coach, play-by-play commentator for this year's World Team Tennis season. Of course, I know him as one of the most handsome men in all of tennis media, Mark Lucero. Mark, (laughs) welcome back to the Mini Break podcast one week later. How are you holding up? Oh, I'm great, man. Uh, Life in the bubble is good. i Got in 14 holes today with Stevie J until we got rained out, and uh, I've seen a lot of good tennis, man, so I'm happy. All right, I watched the entire Stevie J Taylor Fritz set, um, all of it, and so I, I could ask, you know, let's start there before we get into the golf, because I've got a couple of questions for you. One, is Stevie just playing his way into shape? Because the first week, garbage. This week, I mean, the guy's putting up incredible results. What's the deal? You know, I, I actually thought he's played 
aside there there were two sets where I thought they were pretty bad. I thought the set with Harrison um, when they played the Aviators the other night, and then he ran into an on fire Tommy Paul. But otherwise, I thought he's played really well the whole time. Even you know results haven't maybe gone his way, and uh, it's tricky with the three all points, obviously, and it's a sprint to five. But I, I've been pretty happy with the way he's played uh, pretty much since the Miami event uh, that you guys were at. Once he left Miami, uh, we, Steve, myself, and Peter Smith, we all sort of reassessed uh, how we wanted to approach these opportunities, these com- these competitive opportunities. And I thought he played really well in Atlanta. And then I think he's played really well here. So I've been pretty happy with how it all looks. That was not the question in the way I wanted to ask. This is proven, just so our listeners know, I am back. You home said in play Michigan his way into shape, like yeah, in, like you were like basically saying he came here fat. <laughs> well, so here's the thing: as you mentioned, I was in Miami, and I'm just going to put it kindly. It was, you know, as they say in my language, nishkit. You know, not very good uh, from Stevie J. And I saw a lot of two-handed backhands, which was very encouraging in Miami. But you could just tell, you know, the fact that he came in eighth and went 0-3, it bothered him maybe less than anyone else on site. He was just there. He got his matches in. You know, I'm sure he got his paycheck. He went off to Atlanta. Uh, I, th- what I really wanted to ask you, and like I said, you can tell him back in Michigan because I didn't ask the question I wanted to ask right away. I'm reverting back to my Michigan form. I got to get back in indie form here. Uh, but, you know, in terms of ramping up his play, in terms of getting ready so that come Cincinnati come, or Cincinnati, come Western and Southern, come U.S. Open, he's full swing, ready to go. Has that been a slow buildup process? It wasn't something where, you know, for the past four or five months, you guys were going 100 percent all the time. Yeah, that's a great question. We, you know, we actually about a month before probably the Atlanta event, uh, we started practicing uh, regularly. I think like maybe the first week we went maybe a couple weeks with, you know, hitting twice a week, maybe like another week hitting three times a week. And then we got around three weeks in three and a half weeks, close to four weeks of playing every day and getting regular practices in. And, you know, it all started when, when Carlos Silva and the world team tennis guys obviously announced that the season was on and how they were going to do it. So then that gave us something to shoot for these other events obviously popped up in the calendar and, you know, I, I think I think everyone who's playing here is going to have a big advantage going in to the Cincinnati and New York uh, stretch, just because you're getting out the competitive things under your belt. Obviously, Miami was a great place for him just to practice some stuff. We wanted to get more specific uh, going into the event in Georgia. Obviously, as a team event, um, that was something that sort of uh, always appeals to SJ. And then here too, you know, this is the first real stakes that any of these players have played for. You know, there's obviously a lot of money on the line, you know, not, not just their salaries, but the incentives and the playoffs. So there, there's really a lot to play for here. And obviously playing for your teammates and playing for something that's meaningful, that brings out the best in most of these people. And, you know, Steve's uh, like a lot of those people where he yeah. thrives in the competition that actually means something, you know? Yeah, no, without question, and I think one of the things we've highlighted over the past couple of pods or whenever we've talked about this World Team Tennis season here on the mini break is just how high a level of play we've seen this year. The fact that these players do seem invested, the fact that, and Carlos Silva got mad at me on Twitter when I pointed this out, the fact that it's all one site that seems to have brought out, you know, an extra level, I suppose, from these players, an extra gear. Hey, you called out you called out my guy, my fellow Eagle, you know, you put him on blast on <laughs> well, Twitter like that. First of all, I... It, 
I'm glad. Let's get this out of the way now. From one eagle to a wolverine to by proxy to another eagle. Um, you know, I, I, that was not the intention, right? The point I was trying to make, and I think you know this. I'm sure Carlos knows this because I've sent him like 35 apologetic texts since then. Is that I? You know, the point I was trying to make was clearly something about this World Team Tennis season is working in a way that, unless you intensely followed World Team Tennis in the past, maybe prior seasons did not. And my point was not to say that I could do Carlos Silva's job, which I think was the intent or the message he got, but to say clearly having everything at one facility is an added bonus for all of these players because yeah, it acts 100%. as a little, yeah, it acts as a three week training camp. Yeah, I understand. Uh, you know, I, I I got what you were trying to say, and it's just funny the context, obviously. And I mean, it's so good. Uh, like literally, I'm you know I'm sitting in my hotel room. I have ESPN two turned on right now. I'm watching the I'm watching Sonia Kennan and Christina McHale play singles and, um, you know, tonight's match. And, uh, you know, I look in the back, I see signage for DraftKings. I see, you know, UTR, I see Geico, I see Dolby. I see these major, you know, companies who've gotten on board uh, with World Team Tennis. And it's it's a unique opportunity for tennis. And, you know, I'm not just saying because I'm a part of it, but the, the tennis has really been, the tennis has really been outstanding. And the competitiveness between the athletes and the teams you know, it's really, it's really, it's just amazing. It's, it's really cool to see, especially having gone so long without any tennis, any competition. Yeah, no, and that's certainly part of it as well. The fact that there aren't other events going on simultaneously, the fact that this is the first time we've seen this many of our favorite professional players condensed in one location, you know, outside of maybe UTS, which even then it's still smaller scale. Nothing's met the scale of world team tennis to this point. Uh, but, you know, to kind of get back to what I was asking before, and, you know, the pre- predominantly today, I do want to talk about some of the top performers, some of the takeaways from the first two weeks of world team tennis, and then maybe a couple of fun predictions for this last week down the home stretch but you know you're on the ground there not only are you there with Stevie but you're also a play-by-play commentator so I'm sure you're talking to a bunch of the players who you have prior relationships with and you know week two we did see some players take a step back right most notably early in the week Kim Kleister's not playing as frequently or you see a couple of lineup adjustments maybe someone who's playing singles and doubles or playing both doubles flights is only playing one position in week two uh curious because we're seeing a lot of these players and it's still one set no ad scoring right so for particularly guys singles guys doubles you can throw that result out the book a shortened set no ad scoring it you're going to see some funky results um but what what are the feelings on the ground are there rolled ankles is there soreness these players seem pretty fit and pretty prepared to be back out on the court which again given the four five month layoffs a little bit surprising and i suppose surprising in a good way that the, we've seen the level be as high as it is yeah, I actually asked I asked one of the physios, uh, Christian Locasio, who uh, works with Sam Query, and you know, he formerly worked with Marty Fish, and Christian knows his way around the tour. And I was asking him what he thought basically about that. Like, are you seeing basically the same more or less uh, overuse injuries than you would expect after a layoff? And he basically said he thinks it's about the same. They really – I haven't seen too many issues with uh, the players. Vegas – sort of had a rash of uh, shoulders, a couple girls on the team, you know, having some shoulder issues and um, Kim Kleisters has her ab. Uh, but other than that, like, I don't see too many players looking beat up. I think the players, to be honest, look relatively fresh. I think maybe there's a mental, uh, maybe some people are starting to be a little bit mentally fried and that's not because 
you know, I don't think because of anything other than, you know, there's really a lot of pressure when these guys go out, when these guys and girls go out and play. There's a pressure that people don't really pick up on. It's this sort of stress of playing for your teammates and honestly not having ball kids. It's really cool having the team back there, but I think that's also just an added little stressor for the players, but in a good way where it makes what they're doing really meaningful and it ends up, you know, bring out the best of them. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, you know, haven't seen, haven't seen any ankles, haven't seen really anything uh, like traumatic, you know, if anything, you know, like I said, the shoulders, I've seen a couple of girls in Vegas, I think maybe has to do with a little bit of using the men's balls and uh, some of the players went up in tension because we're at 1800 feet here. But other than that, I think everyone's adapted to it pretty well. I think most people, Honestly, there's no excuse not to be in shape, really, after being out for three months. And especially if you were confined at home, there's really no reason to not uh, be able to get it done. So many players, were, you know, got bikes or got Pelotons or were able to go, you know, go on runs and stuff and work out at, at home. Uh, so I, I think people, I think it speaks to the preparation that the players put in prior to coming here. Um, you know, a couple of the English guys, I think we're dealing with the heat, which is, you know, totally, <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> As John Lloyd told me, uh, you know, these guys come from England or Scotland and they don't see the sun ever. So, <laughs> um, you know, here it's in the 90s on a daily basis and there's a lot of humidity. So, yeah, that's tough. But other than that, uh, you know, I've seen some guys using the ice towel. Robert Lindstedt was using it between points in the mixed doubles. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, I think everyone uh, everyone's looking pretty fit. Yeah, and it speaks to the fact that to be a modern-day professional tennis player, and particularly to have success as a professional, you have to be in shape all year round. It's not one of those things where you can sort of tank through November, December, round yourself into shape at the end of December, get ready to play the Australian heat. That's just not something you're able to do. And in particular, now you want to hop in, and it's going to be a hot start, right? Two or Three weeks in New York, Western, and Southern U.S. Open back-to-back, uh, particularly if you're a top 100 player, you need to be ready to hit hit the ground running and so I think we have seen so many of these players whether it's someone like Tennis Sandgren who yeah he's chucking a beer uh, chugging a beer on Saturday but that's a guy who's as yeah physically fit as you're going to find on tour or even a guy like Jack Sock who looks as though he is finally healthy looks that he has worked himself into better shape over these past four to five months taking advantage of that period to work on his own body you know, for your guy, Stevie J, you read the reports. Obviously, he was busy with a little bit of other exercise called baby making in March. And so that takes up a little bit of time. Uh, certainly still an exercise if you're doing it right, but it takes up a little bit of time. And so for Stevie J, you know, yeah. Strong a core. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we can, yeah, exactly. We can leave that there. Uh, one handed, two handed. Not going to get into that, any of that funky oh stuff. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Just having a little bit of fun here on the mini break. But yeah, certainly these players look physically fit, and that's really encouraging as we get back to the resumption of play. Obviously, as of now, the WTA is set to go before Palermo, before, uh, or in Palermo, in Nicholasville, Kentucky, before Western and Southern. Not the case for the ATP or the ITF World Tour. Uh, but, you know, before we get directly into the world team tennis market, the big news from the professional ranks, the Asian swing officially canceled. Now, that's particularly, you know, uh, particularly difficult for the WTA, so much invested in their Asian swing of the year, the year end uh, race to the year end finals canceled. 
the event itself in Shenzhen canceled. Of course, you also lose a Masters event, I think a 500 as well for the ATP tournament. You know, China announced a couple of weeks ago that they were going to be canceling all international sporting events, so this news wasn't a complete shock. I guess my question to you, at this point, given everything going on across the globe, spiking cases particularly in North America and Brazil, but in multiple regions of the globe, all of the travel restrictions in place, do you anticipate the ATP WTA tours will try to replace those tournaments on the calendar, or do you think at this point we're just going to be lucky if we see a stretch between August and the end of October? That's it's a great question. You know, I think we are going to we're going to see the tours basically encourage events to operate that have the ability to operate. You know, it's a big loss for the WTA because they have so many events. There's such major investment from China in the WTA tour. Obviously, the Shenzhen event, the the tour finals are such it's such a huge money maker for the tour that. That is going to be a really it's, it's a really big blow. Like there's no way to sugarcoat it. It's a huge blow to the tour and their uh, financial, uh, you know, their financial stability. Really, um, for the men, it's a little bit different story. You know, the Asia swing is shorter. Supposedly, I mean, I guess we should be specific and say the China swing um, because what I'm hearing, I'm hearing potential events for uh, in Japan and Korea potentially still going to go um, on the women's side and maybe the men's. Uh, the women or the men don't play in Korea, but the men still have a, a Japan event. So I, you know, I think it's really touch and go. Honestly, I think the I think those events were going to be a challenge if they were held in the first place. Even not even depending on what was going to happen, but I don't think many players were particularly eager to travel to Asia, uh, just or travel to China, just because of you know a little, just because of the you know the just because of worry about, you know, that's where the virus originated and stuff like that, you know, right or wrong. And obviously the United States is doing, you know, maybe the worst job in the world of containing it. But um, I think it was going to be a tough sell for people to go to Asia, um, period. So um, not having that part in the calendar, I think, you know, the men obviously are going to focus their um, tournaments in Europe and the women, I think they're going to scramble basically just to see if anyone wants to have tournaments and maybe put a little more emphasis on uh, adding events that sort of complement the shorter European swing that they do have. Yeah, and I think it's inevitable that we'll see, and we saw this weekend, Simona Halep pull out of Palermo. I know Joe Conta currently signed up for Palermo. Do I think John Sanders is going to... You know what, I'm, I'll text John tomorrow and ask him for permission. He'll say yes. I know for a fact Joe Conta is going to be playing Nicholasville. She's not going to be playing Palermo. I mean, I have it in stone. I'm ready to report that a little bit. A tidbit, we can call that breaking news. Um, Because, yeah, you know, there are just... In terms of... You know, being across the globe, getting into all of these different locations, again, the travel restrictions coming from Europe to the United States, and then ultimately the more difficult part, getting back from the United States to anywhere else in the globe, but in Europe in particular. It's going to be difficult for a lot of these players. That's going to be just different logistical challenges that a lot of them are going to want to potentially avoid if they don't have to, particularly if you're a top 
50 top 20 player and financially you're secured you make that investment is it worth it at this time to play this event and for a lot of these players it, it's not going to shock me if the answer is no and as I mentioned we saw Simona Halep pull out of Palermo it was funny or funny is the wrong word it was sort of sad to see the Palermo tournament director get so upset release a statement because I think this concept of players pulling out of events is something we're all going to have to get used to but you hear multiple players whether it be people like Diego Schwartzman Richard Gasquet or you know again that you can go on and on and on about the people who uh, the list of players who have voiced their concerns I guess as we get closer to this date and I believe August 3rd is when we find out the acceptance or the entry list for the western and southern events I'm not going to put a specific number but I mean, it's just a reality, Mark, right, that we are going to see players within the top 20, within the top 10 even, elect not to play the U.S. hard court swing and, or maybe elect not to play the clay court swing and only play one or the other? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think if we go into these tournaments thinking it's going to be business as usual and the draws will look like how they would at any other time, I think, you know, if you think that, I think you're kidding yourself. Um I think participation is a personal decision and a family decision for a lot of people. And it's the prerogative, you know, we've seen other sports where, you know, players are opting out. And I think in tennis, we're going to see the same thing where players are going to opt out until things, you know, uh, until the next season. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think that's certainly within their rights. But I think the game as a whole needs to try to find a way to go ahead. Um, And, you know, yeah, there's going to be players that don't come to the U.S. I think there's going to be maybe players from North America that don't do the full Europe swing. You know, it was going to be the same thing for Asia, which is kind of what I was alluding to before. Uh, same reason, you know, people are uncomfortable probably coming to the United States. I think, you know, vice versa. So, um, you know, I think we need to try to operate. We need to try to do it in a really safe way, provide a safe environment for the players, answer the questions, um, and can address the concerns as well as, the game possibly can. I think, you know, tightening up restrictions or not restrictions, but tightening up protocols so that things are really safe for the players and creating these bubbles. You know, I think maybe finding places in the calendar where you could have, you know, two events in the same location or there's things like that. You know, sort of like how they're doing with Cincinnati and New York. I think that's the ideal thing. I don't think traveling city to city is the best idea. You know, like for me, you know, Madrid, Rome, Paris, I don't think makes sense. I don't. I think it would be much better if you had, you know, two events in France back to back or something like that. Two sure. events in Paris, even. But um, you know, I have an event at the racing club one week and then have a Roland Garros. I don't know something like that. But anyway, you know, what I'm just an arm. You know, I'm just sitting on my couch right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I'm not the I'm not the ones who are operating these events. And and as it should be very clear that as someone who's uh, invested in the game with obviously my roles. Uh, I'm grateful to anybody who wants to have a tournament in this financial climate. So uh, that's kind of how I see that. And so, yeah, it's basically a long answer. Yes, players are going to opt out and B, I have no problem with players who choose to opt out because it's a personal decision. You start to look at some of the regulations they have in place, and you've lived some of them uh, this past two weeks at the Greenbrier. But, you know, the U.S. Open starting to announce, uh, or the U.S. Open, the USA starting to announce what these players are going to have to do to participate in New York. Things about, you know, the hotel guidelines and how many team members, how many personnel uh, are allowed to be on site, what the testing is going to look like for that personnel, uh, you know, how everyone's going to have health screening, COVID 19 testing. They must before being allowed on site, those sorts of things. And again, I've never um, 
never been part of a player entourage, I suppose, other than my little brothers when we roll up to a high school match. But, you know, that's not the U.S. Open. And so I'm curious how those sorts of little things, and we've heard players, you know, at different portions, make a fuss is the wrong word, but express concerns, justifiably so, that, hey, I'm not going to get to be with my trainer. Hey, I'm not going to get to be with my hitting partner. Hey, there are all of these other little things in play that disrupt my rhythm. Uh, Again, this is something that's been discussed before, but will that play a factor in players' Electing to opt out as well, just or is it just in you know the totality of the logistical nightmare? Uh, you know, maybe it it certainly could. You know, I think there's certain there's you know, players are so routine driven, and obviously there's there's so much money at stake results wise, and obviously if you even think about contracts and incentives and bonuses, um, that you know the top players in the world have really set the set the standard for how you pay attention to details and cover all your bases. And so, yeah, like there's players who may not be comfortable going without, you know, their stringer and their, you know, like, you know just thinking right now, how are the players, I mean, I guess they're going to have to messenger the rackets, like the players that use priority one or Roman Prokes or whoever, like those guys aren't going to be able to get into the player hotel. You know, they're going to be in a hotel somewhere else. How are they going to, get the rackets back and forth, you know, I mean, I guess they're going to messenger them or Uber them or whatever. Um, but you know, but that's, that's a real thing. Like, you know, if you tell, if you tell Novak that he has to use a tournament stringer, like he might look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of different, there's just so many different um, wrinkles to think about. I do think that we're in an age when we have to adapt and, and just deal with some of these things and, and understand we're not operating in a perfect world. And everyone's just, you know, I mean, ultimately, it's going to create uh, a measure of egalitarianism and take away some of the advantages the top players have sort of not exploited, but, you know, have, have utilized over the last few years. And, and it's going to create, you know, an, uh, an equal playing field. It's not the, not the worst thing in the world. No, again, if anything, you know, people say, oh, is there going to be an asterisk next to the winner of these U.S. Opens? If anything, it's going to be that much more impressive that given everything else going on, you managed to win a two-week tennis tournament with that many high-level tennis players, at least in my opinion, I think. You know, it's not worth two Grand Slams, but if Alex Zverev wins it, in my book, he's going to have five titles. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, that's perfect for me. Um, but no, well, look it, at it, the guys the guys who won the Australian Open in the late 70s and the early 80s. Like, there's no asterisk next to those. And, and we all know those weren't full fields, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, yes, I completely agree with you. And I think, well, first of all, never slander Johan Creek's name like that. That's my guy. Come on, through and through. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think you're completely right. A Grand Slam championship is a Grand Slam championship. Uh, of course, you know, if you're a nuanced tennis fan, you're going to note the circumstances that happened during, uh, happened under. But of course, that title still absolutely counts. And so, yeah, you know, it, it's no different than if someone misses uh, an event due to injury. Now, obviously, it's a very different, but that's the way we have to treat it as tennis fans for any of these players who opt out. Uh, it's just a decision that every player, as we've both mentioned, is in their right mind to make. Um, but with that being said, that is not, you know, I appreciate you answering those questions. That is not why I wanted to have you on today. It was one of the many reasons, I suppose, we wanted to have you back on. Of course, you're also a returning champion, so, you know, you always have a right to come back on whenever you please. But you are on site at the Greenbrier for this World Team Tennis season. 
season. We are entering week three now, the final week of World Team Tennis. And as we get ready, there are still teams battling for playoff action now. Uh, as of right now, we do have two teams who have clinched playoff spots. In my opinion, they've definitively been the best two teams in the during this World Team Tennis season. That, of course, is the Chicago Smash and the Philadelphia Freedoms. Let's start with the Freedoms who are playing on television right now as we're recording this against the Aviators. They lost all three doubles matches, but that hasn't mattered much for them throughout this season because their team has been led by the two top-ranked singles players in the draw in Taylor Fritz and uh, Sophia Kennan. You look at them in the standings. Taylor Fritz, the top uh, games won to loss differential of any singles players. He's got a 44-36 split in 80 total games. Uh, That's first place and a game ahead of Brandon Nakashima, who of course has been playing uh, singles for the Smash. Now you look at the women's singles position. I mean, Sophia Kennan before a loss yesterday to Jessica Pagula had really uh, been rocking and rolling, but she's still been, I believe, the top player in the entire league. And in fact, she has, you look at her different, oh, I suppose now actually she is, ooh, let me see how many games below uh, 19, uh, uh, that's a little bit of math. No, in terms of games won to games lost, she is still ahead of Pegula and Kleisters. It's now just a win percentage thing. But, you know, Sophia Kennan, Taylor Fritz leading the way for them. They've probably been the two best singles players in my decision. Certainly, you look at sample size as well. Sophia Kennan's played every singles match for the Freedom and been rock solid. That's where it starts for that team, right? The performance of those two young Americans. Yeah, they're led by their singles. You know, it's interesting. I Philadelphia has not looked good the last three times out, in my opinion. They should have lost to Orange County on Friday. They got drilled yesterday by the storm of Orlando. And then right now, they were in a big hole before Cannon won her singles. They were way down to the Aviators. And now Taylor Fritz is about to go ahead. Um, he's about to put them ahead in 19-18 right now. So they've kind of just skated by. I actually ran to the coach this morning, and he was asking me how I thought they looked yesterday. And they also, yesterday they got, you know, they got beaten pretty bad yesterday. But in fairness, they played a, they played a 9 a.m. match. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's always, you never know what you're going to get. But, um, you know, my take on them is that they're very good. But I think now they're sort of... Uh, they're kind of regressing to the mean because I thought they were all. I thought the whole team was playing really well to start the year. I thought they were. I mean, literally everyone was playing well. Taylor, you know, Townsend was playing great. Fabrice Martin, I thought was playing really hot out of the gates. He looked really fit. You know, for Taylor Fritz coming on fire, and then Sonia Cannon was on fire, and um, you know, the, obviously Taylor Townsend can win with whoever. Um, so, you know, I, I think they, you know, I just think they came in fairly hot, and I think now they're playing a little bit more, you know, air quotes normal and. What I think about this league also is that I think there's a bunch of teams that can win, and there's a bunch of teams, you know, even someone like Philadelphia, like there's ways there's ways to beat Taylor Fritz. You know, there's ways to beat Sonia Kennan. They're obviously very good, um, but I would say that for all the top players. So if the matchups are right, I think anybody can beat anybody, but day-to-day, you know, they've been the most consistent, at least early in the season, and now I say maybe the most consistent team is probably Chicago. Well, in our business, we call that a humble brag because Stevie J obviously knocking off Fritz just the other day. So, yeah, there is a way to beat him, and I think you are aware of it. Um, But, you know, you start to look at the freedoms, and I, I, I completely agree with your point, and it's one I made a little bit earlier as well. If you're relying on men's singles in a world team tennis format, you are going to be in a little bit of trouble because 
no ad scoring, short and set up to five. It's anyone's game. More often than not, it's going to just come down to a random tiebreaker, and again, shortened tiebreaker as well. And that's always a toss-up. Sure, you know Taylor Fritz has as big of a serve as anyone in the draw, and you like him in tiebreakers. But there's no reason Stevie J can't take a tiebreaker, or as he did, fight off a couple of early game points, and then end up getting the break later in the set himself. And yeah, I may have put you know a little bit of action on it for our GSP Ace of the Day, sponsored by DraftKings. Take the freedoms to sweep singles because that's just what they do. And yeah, that might have come back to bite me in the butt, but uh, the point being, I agree with you. I think it's always difficult to build, you know, to expect men's singles to be the thing you can build around. It's just a tough strategy to have because all of those sets are often toss-ups. Now, on the Sophia Kennan side, I mean, she has played, I think, the second highest total games in terms of women's singles player. Jennifer Brady's at 82. Uh, she's at 72. Christina McHale at 71. And then there's a significant gap sort of beneath them and everyone else. Uh, But Sophia Kennan's been exceptional. I mean, clearly the Australian Open wasn't a fluke, and anyone who's followed the uh, WTA Tour over the past 18 months knows that. Uh, But she's brought in exceptional form. I think that's notable. And I also think it's notable that they have options when it comes to doubles, that they do have Townsend, they have Dalhide, and then, you know, Sophia Kennan took a loss today, but that's something they can turn to. And, you know, more than anything else, they're above 500 in each of their flights, right? They're, yeah, that's there's a huge. Path. That's yeah, huge. there's a path for them in every single set. And, you know, do I love the team of, I think it's Fritz and Skupski, or is it Fritz and Ward? Uh, I might Fritz and Martin. Martin. Uh, Fritz Martin. and Martin. You know, I, I like Fabrice Martin's performance. Again, they're a little thin men-wise, but I like them to have another option. And we haven't seen much of Donald Young thus far. Um, but I, I just, I do like that they have a bunch of different things they can turn to from uh, on the women's side from that perspective. And I think that's going to be very helpful for them yeah i I agree it's all about having options for me in this league and if you have if you have someone that could contribute in singles and doubles like you know like like taylor townsend can contribute in all three events uh jessica pagula has been you know contributing all three events um you know like in the or in in orlando in the newport beach (laughs) newport beach in the orange county win yesterday (laughs) uh stevie and brady both played in three events uh, it, that's what you need. You need to have options, and you need to have someone that can spell your singles player, and still there's no drop off, which is you know Taylor Townsend, Nick Monroe for Donald Young in a first round pick. Who says no? I mean, yeah, it's a it's a good. Uh, I don't know actually. I don't know. Yeah, just if, something to if, consider. I've I've got a couple more to sprinkle in, by the way. If you're if you're Philly, if you are Philly, you say yes to that, right? Uh, I don't think so. No, I, D- Donald's a French Open finalist for him, like in doubles. I mean, he. Uh, it's true. You know, and, and I think having the lefty is valuable if he, if it's if it's a matchup thing. Yeah. No, that's fair. Again, I'm just throwing them out there. I've got a couple more that I'll continue to sprinkle in. But we talked about uh, the Freedoms, who, again, rounding out their match against the Aviators. If they win, they'll be tied with the Chicago Smash, who have won their past four matches. They're they just won. Oh, and that's a destroyed racket for mr harrison yeah that's you know i will say this obviously this is cracked racket so of course always a fan of a cracked racket but it's so clear ryan harrison cares about world team tennis and i also think he's been very very good in the booth as well sneaky good play-by-play commentator yeah i agree i agree ryan's great actually yeah so that that's always been a revelation it's been great seeing these players again 
in the team environment, but you look at the Chicago Smash, they've been exceptional, 9-2, and two, and again, you look at that roster, what's been carrying them along the way. Kim Kleisters, when she's lined up in singles, has arguably been the most valuable player in this entire league, uh, regardless of position. You just look at what she's done. Uh, you know, she's 30-15 game spread. I think she's 6-0 and now in terms of women's singles sets. Obviously, yep. she beat so For the Empire, yeah. Yeah, she has looked uh, so good, I believe. Oh, she's playing for the Empire. I switched. I don't know why I got there. Excuse me for the storm. I don't know why the Empire, the storm. I mixed them in my head. Let's try that again. Um, for the Chicago Smash, the team I want to look on, they build their team the exact opposite of the Freedoms, right? And that's what's yep. so interesting is that for them, it's doubles that takes them home. And Jeannie Bouchard, Bethany Maddox, Sands, arguably the best doubles team, men's, women's, it doesn't matter, or the single most valuable doubles team of any pairing in the league. I love that they have the option of Rajiv Raman BMS for the mixed doubles as well. Uh, but you could argue, and this is a continued trend over the past you know, five, 9 to 15 months, if you're on tennis Twitter, at some point you've tweeted, oh my, like, watch out for Brandon Nakashima. He's going to break through for sure. And it's like, yeah, again, everyone said that at this point. It's not a revelation. The guy's a stud. Um, but he has been a stud for the smash. And between him, uh, between their women's and mixed doubles, this is a team built for success with, again, the variety, the different pathways to victory, which is so critical. Yeah, I mean, they're... <laughs> They have no drop-offs in their lineups. I think again they have the they have the option to throw on a lefty in the doubles as well with Evan King. Um, but you know women's doubles is has been so reliable for them. Like Jeannie and uh, and Bethany have been killing people. Uh, I think Jeannie's playing great. Obviously Bethany brings so much energy to the court, and her and Rajiv Ram are. I actually think they've kind of underperformed a little bit in the mixed doubles. I mean they're they're winning, um, but uh, I I think that they're gonna play their best tennis probably ahead. I think Kamal Murray has done a really good job keeping people fresh and getting people playing time. You know, he, he gave Brandon Nakashima a few days off from the doubles, had him playing only singles, got Evan King in there. You know, he has rested Sloan at times. He's put Ginny into the singles. He, you know, has taken Bethany out of the mix to today to keep her fresh. Um, so, you know, I think uh, I think he's doing a good job managing his team. You know, managing the minutes. You know, got the load management going on. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I really, I really like that team a lot. And and Brand Nagashima just is, you know, he's quietly so good out there. It's really fun to watch. Kamal would never do it. Chicago would never allow us to do it. But um, Alia Tamjanovic for Sloan Stevens. Who says no? Like at end of the like end of the season. You get her for the last week. They're allowing it to come through right now. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I don't, th- I don't think you make that trade. To be you honest, you do not. I, if you're either, if you're the smash, you say no. If you're the smash, you say no. I think you, you have this player that has a history of coming through in the big moments, and you keep her because you know what's, you know that you know what her ceiling is, you know. Yeah, so again, no one knows Sloan Stevens better than Kamal Murray, but you look for Sloan, 28-32 spread. You look for Tom Janovic, she's 17-17. Again, you just want someone to firm up that women's singles position. And, you know, men's doubles, they haven't been great. You look for the smash and where they're at right now. They are currently sixth in the league, I believe, 45-46 spread. That's about even. Again, that's not bad, and I would never slander a fellow Wolverine in Evan King. Um, But I do think the women's singles position 
is one they've struggled in. And yeah, Genie's done better. Sloan Stevens has played better of late. But I don't know. It's an interesting trade to me. Well, Certainly... until today, you know, not factoring in today's singles result, Genie was nine out of eleven in singles. It's true. It's true. But then she took a bad L today. If, if she took a bad L today. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. Um, but no, I, it's an interesting trade. The fact that, again, we can talk about hypothetical trades is half the fun for World Team Tennis. So I'm just going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep offering them up to you. You can tell me yes or no. And I think it gets particularly interesting as we look at the, you know, the teams on the fringe of the playoff bubble. And, you know, with one week to play, there are really, I would say, you know, you want to say four teams are in the hunt, five in reality for me. I think the Storm, the Empire, the Castles, and then maybe the Breakers and the Rollers, both right on the bubble. Um, certainly for the Orlando Storm, you look at the, the crux of their team built upon the success they've had with both Tennis Sandgren and Jessica Gula in singles. I mean, the Storm are really solid, right? All the way around, you look at their roster, you look at uh, some of the other talent they have there. Obviously, they lost Danielle Collins for the year, uh, which was something I don't know if we've talked about, but I, I agree with your tweet. Two things can be true. She could have been justified with, with leaving, and the World Team Tennis uh, Organization made the right choice in removing her for the rest of the season. But, you know, Ken Skupski, James Ward, it, it's a really talented team in Orlando. I think they are probably the team I do feel third best about it. I know that's obvious with their record, but Sandgren and Pagula are both playing really, really good tennis. I mean, they might be, they might be the first best option, to be honest. Like, after the <laughs> after the beatdown they put on Philadelphia yesterday, uh, I, you know, I really like their team. I, tennis Sandgren, obviously, like, if, if we're playing outdoors and making this match physical, he's really good. Jessica Pagula, for me, has been great. I think she's really improved this offseason and I don't know if she's improved that much, but she's kind of just come into her own and uh, sort of simplified things. She doesn't make some of the the overplaying errors that maybe she used to. I, I think David Witt's really been great with her. It's really fun for me to see her playing the way she's playing, and she's a tough out. Uh, the doubles, um, I, you know, they're good. She's really contributed in doubles for me. The women's doubles is the weakest area for the Orlando Storm. Um, if they could add, you know, if they were able to add another women's doubles player. Uh, I, I think they would be very good. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you know, that, that's the weakest area for me. Otherwise, I think they're really strong. I mean, they're strong. You know, Jesse's done a great job in the mixed with Ken Skupski. The men's doubles is good. And uh, obviously singles, you know. So, yeah, I, I think I would put them up there. You know, if we're talking, if we, the weather stays good and the playoffs are outdoors, I have to like, uh, I like the Orlando Storm against anybody. Yeah, and you know, if the format was even longer, I'd agree with you. The physicality, Sandgren and Pagula can... Uh, uh, introduce into matches when it's outdoor tennis. It's really, really special stuff. And Sandgren, probably, you know, third, arguably fourth best right up there. He, Sock, Nakashima, Fritz, kind of in a category of their own in terms of their effectiveness during this World Team Tennis season. But then, as you ma- uh, mentioned, they've been sneaky good in men's doubles as well. And you look at that team of Ward and Skupski, or Skupski and Sandgren, they've had a lot of success in particular you look at the rankings i believe they're the number one team in men's doubles the plus 10 ratio i think that's tied actually with the new york empire uh but yeah this team is really good and you start to look at the things okay you're right uh you know they probably are one women's doubles uh player short but still uh it's a really talented roster it's a tough roster to make trades with right because you start to offer up ken skupski and now you lose a lot of the diversity no 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 he's not he's not he's not on the trading 
block. Exactly. You, you can't give that up, but you have to imagine Gene. Maybe you can, you know, give up the rights to Danielle Collins in 2021, say, hey, she'll be back eventually. Uh, and so we'll give up that asset now to, like, I don't know, I have her involved in a different trade to, like, the Springfield Lasers. You'll be like, I'm telling you, a Collins McNally swap, that makes sense for you. And of course, the Lasers would be like, I don't know about that. Um, but just an interesting thought, certainly. But yeah, no, that's a team, I think, as you mentioned, they're playing better and better as well. And it's clear they're having a lot of fun out there. You keep seeing Jessica Pagula show up in the highlight reels. Uh, there's a reason why they are a very good team. I agree with you. Then things get interesting because for the New York Empire, you know, if, if I'm going to do a ballot, I think I'm going to write out my awards actually for the World Team Tennis season. Maybe we can have you on the podcast next week to give out some awards as well. Uh, but you could argue the coaching of the coach of the year performance could go to New York Empire coach Luke Jensen for the performance he's coped out of people like Jack Sock, Kim Kleisters, getting their best tennis over these first two weeks. You look for the Empire, 6-5 and five right now in the standings, a game up on the Castles. They've had a lot of success in a couple of different places, but I think what's clear to me, you look at this Empire team, they're a doubles player short. And so I have a couple of options for you for perspective trades that I think you're going to enjoy. I think you're going to think, wow, these are the ones, Alex, you thought these ones thoroughly through, and these trades make a lot of sense. So, Coach, you can let me know if you enjoy these trades, and we will go from there. That sounds good <laughs> deal okay so new york empire Haley baptiste they give up Haley baptiste and three first round picks for katie mcnally yes or no oh man if you mortgage the future like that i don't know but um, it's katie mcnally so you get an asset that's going to appreciate for a while this is true. Um, and then you build around McNally, you build around Sock, you can get a, some fun with Kleisters down the end until McNally replaces her as the center, you know, focus of your women's singles lineup. And Baptiste, you know, if you're the Lasers, you're building for the future. The Springfield Lasers, one of the iconic franchises in world team tennis, uh, arguably the San Antonio Spurs of world team tennis. Uh, you know, yes, you give up Katie McNally, but you have three first-round picks coming back, and eventually Coco Goff's going to be in that pipeline. Eventually, you know, there's so many talented, the Robin Montgomery's, the Katrina Scott's of the world. You're going to be able to find another talented young American woman. You're not wrong. It's a. It's a. By the way, Haley Baptiste is talented too. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, for the New York Empire to play doubles with. I mean, who who are we thinking is anchoring the doubles team? Kleisters. I mean, or... you can play when it's crunch time. You're going Skupski, Scott, Kleisters, McNally, and McNally can play both mixed and women's doubles. Kleisters can play singles and women's doubles. McNally, by the way, what five-time Junior Slam finalist in doubles already, top fifty on the WTA tour in doubles. Um, yeah, you build it. You go. You know, you're you kind of cut off the depth in your roster, but you found your four. Yeah, I don't know. I might try to make a trade with. Uh, to be honest, I think you need to bring in somebody who has a little more pop okay. to, comp- to compliment Kim Kleister. And I think, I think, I really think in the mix, in the mixed doubles, you need to have a girl that has pop. Uh, so I'm why- glad we call that the Laura Ugrosteas position on our, uh, on our club tennis team, because she did all the heavy lifting for us when it was crunch time. Um, but then I'm glad you mentioned that because that was my other option. Haley Baptiste. And again, this is not to be disrespectful for her. She's just really the one trade piece they have on the empire. You trade Haley Baptiste and two first-round picks for Gabriella Dabrowski from the Breakers. Oh, man. 
Uh, I think if you're Orange County, I mean, you know, yeah, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's a bad trade for either side. I, I, I don't think it's a bad trade. I'll take that. Um, That's a win. Do you hear that, Carlos Silva? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, right? Because that's the thing they're missing. You see Kleisters, and with all due respect to Sabine Lasiski, Baptiste Peschke, it's just they are a woman short. You know, that's the one thing they're missing. They need one more particularly doubles player, and they don't seem to have that right now. Yeah, I mean they're a fun team. Obviously, Haley Baptiste. It was it was good to see her play last night. I think she learned. Hopefully, she learned a lot. There was a lot to see. I called that match. Uh, Lasicki. It's great to see her on the court. I mean, Sabine Lasicki is one of the most well liked players out there. She's still finding her game, um, and she can you know she can play well for short periods of time, and she's kind of finding the consistency and and figuring out how her body deals with being on the court like that. You know, which is important for her. And uh, you know, and Kaveta Peschke is a is a veteran and uh, really good around the net, but um, can get overpowered out here at times. Uh, so yeah, it's just uh, you know that's why you know, Kim Kleisters has played a lot of a lot of meaningful minutes out there, a lot of mixed doubles. And uh, you know, if you can save her for the you know for the sort of the singles, I think that's the most important. Last one, Baptiste for one of the Bryans. Either way, just straight up trade so that the Empire get him for the home stretch. <laughs> Well, who are you going to bench? I mean, Neil Skelsky I mean, and It's and not Jack a bench. Sock, like, it's what, more like, of a, hey, Jack, you don't have to play every doubles flight. Or, hey, Skelsky, you don't have to play every doubles time. You know, they're not, they're not always going to be have to playing two uh, two flights. Okay, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you could put that one in there. I think uh, potentially, you, you know, that, that one might not get by the, uh, the league regulators. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can already hear, yeah. Uh, Carlos Silva's like Katie McNally's staying on the lasers and that's final. Um, it's like just the, like, uh, like the Chris Paul, like the Chris yeah. Paul trade, you know. <laughs> Exactly. It makes perfect sense. Um, no, I mean, so I guess beyond those teams, because those are the four playoff teams, and then right on the border you have the Castles, the Breakers, and I'll, I'll continue to say Carlos Silva and the theme of David Stern will find a way to get the Bryans into the playoffs. <laughs> but Castles, Breakers, Rollers, if one of those teams is going to take that final spot from the Empire, who's it going to be? Uh, are you contractually I- obligated to say the Breakers? No, but I really think that they <laughs> I think that they I think they can get it done for a couple of reasons. One is that uh I think Jenny Brady's starting to play some good tennis. I think you know, she went a few she played the first few matches without adjusting her string tension and you know, was hitting balls all over the place and now I think she's kind of figured it out. Um I think you know, Steve and Jenny are gonna play a lot of mixed doubles as well, which is gonna make them dangerous. And uh I think if they're if they're firing on all cylinders, I think they're going to be tough to beat. And, you know, I think they're going to obviously they need to win out. And I think you know the other teams obviously um, I don't even know to be honest I don't know who they play in their next three matches. But um, it's just, it's tough to it's tough to pick anybody because I can see scenarios when you know all the other I can see scenarios where Tommy Paul keeps playing well and the Castles get through. I think their women's singles can be um, problematic for them. Uh, that's their weakness for me. That's really tough. Um, 
Yeah, tough call, man. Tough, tough yeah, question. No, again, it's who has the fewest number of holes, and I think the thing that separates like Mike this Wallace match... here asking the tough questions. Yeah, you know? that's what I try to. Yeah, I'm a young Brett Musburger. Um, <laughs> you know, since he always seemed to be calling the Michigan games, but you know, the smash, the freedoms, the storm. They've separated themselves particularly because, again, as we mentioned, the variety they can turn to in their lineups. There's no weak spot. There's no glaring thing. You know, you want to say for the smash, oh, you can attack the women's singles. Well, Jeannie's been playing well enough. Sloan been playing well enough you want to say you know for the freedoms for the storm especially of late they've looked even more solid um but yeah it, it it's really going to be interesting that is part of what makes world team tennis so fun beyond the team atmosphere you know the no ad scoring the parody of it all it really does feel like any team can win on any given day. Again, we saw the Aviators up big on the Freedoms before Kennan and Fritz tonight were able to pull away in singles. And of course, the night I don't have a great shot podcast, Ace of the Day segment brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. The Freedoms do go ahead and sweep singles as I predicted them to do on Friday when Stevie Johnson decided to give a big to that plan. Um, so here's, anyways, here's what I'll tell you. Here's what I'll okay. tell you. I like This it. is what I think. I would rather have players on my team who've been underperforming because I know what they're capable of when it really, really matters, when the lights come on. I would rather have that than players who've been overperforming because at some point they're going to regress to the mean. Yeah, that's fair. Are you trying to say Taylor Fritz has been overperforming? That's what I heard there. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but that's my that's my hedge on people anointing Philly, uh, you know, before we roll the balls out there yeah. next weekend. No, it's going to be a really fun home stretch. And again, that's the biggest takeaways. Whatever World Team Tennis uh, seemed to capture this year, there's something there. And so, again, there's no one I, I would trust more to capture that something and repeat it moving into the future than Carlos Silva. And no, he doesn't have a gun to my head, I swear, folks. But I do not want another angry tweet from him. So I'm going to keep reiterating again. How not, great not, a job in, not into guns, Alex. No guns, please. Oh, please. excuse me. I, I respect should say... the Second Amendment, but I choose to <laughs> <laughs> I should say he does not have a pressure-pointed finger on my neck and saying, Alex, would you like to do play-by-play someday for World Team Tennis? Because if you would, uh, I've got some things I need you to say. That is not the case for this legitimately. Of course, you look at the COVID testing that they've done and the fact that, what was it, 250-plus tests all come back negative. That proves no, that. No, 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 no. Over 750 tests. Over 750, exactly. 250 yes. times 3. That's what I was just working a little math for everyone. Uh, the fact that everything has come back negative, that's a testament to the work everyone is doing. And the responsibility, again, of not just the players, but the staff of people like you, who, again, best-looking guy in tennis media. I'm sure there are some chicks in West Virginia saying, oh, Coach Lucero, come on out with us. And you're like, ladies, I can't. I have to follow the guidelines. Tell Weissman that. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. We'll save that competition for another time. But no, um, again, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I do appreciate you coming back on. I guess, again, as we head into week three, one, maybe give one last tidbit for listeners. If they haven't tuned into World Team Tennis, why they should be watching this last week and maybe one bonus player to watch out for on the week. Oh, man. I mean, if you haven't been watching World Team Tennis, I highly suggest you do so. The matches have been just in- incredible tennis so far. And I say that as someone who knows the game and who is looking for certain things and matches the, when you see the players out there competing, the look in their eye, you know that they're out there giving their all. And that's, you know, to be honest, that's all any fan or any, uh, you know, any, anyone who knows tennis, it's all, it's all we want. And I think we're going to see some great tennis on the stretch. We have 
unbelievable youngsters, you know, Brand Nakashima, obviously Katie McNally, you know, Taylor Fritz, Sonia Ken, and then the old guard who's still out there and who's trying to keep them in their place. I think there's a lot of great dynamics at play. And uh, I think if you haven't watched it, you're going to have some fun. We have unbelievable music in between points from DJ Danny, who's killing it. And it's just uh, it's tennis reimagined. You know, men and women, only sport in the world where they're on the same team and competing together. And, uh, yeah, be, get, get ready to watch some fun stuff this, over this next week. Yeah, no, I, I think um... – no, I completely agree with you. I was going to say mixed, uh, I was gonna say, not lewd, what's it freaking called with, um, oh my god, physics class. Uh, you're freaking scraping on the ice and uh, you're trying to get the things to stop. Oh, I'm blanking out on the name of the sport. Come what, on. What are you talking about? It's, you know, you they have the weights, right? And they're on the ice and you slide the weights forward and you try and get it to stop and you have the broomstick and you... Oh, you yeah, know, the Olympic the sport? Like, yeah, uh... what's that called? I'm blanking out on the name. Anyways, I was going to make a joke that there's mixed doubles in that, but I don't think there actually is mixed doubles in that. So it was a bad joke from start to finish. I can't well, even ask. Well, Alex, is it a professional sport? Uh, I think like, so. I, I don't know. It's on ESPN2, which uh, so is World Team Tennis, so I'm going to call it professional. We're going to lock that in. Will people make a living doing that? Again, I think so. Yes, <laughs> gotta love the world in 2020. Only in this, you know, in this, uh, what you call it, simulation is that sort of thing a compensated job. So we're all going to enjoy that for the time being. Uh, but Coach Lucero, again, you're you're on the call today. We're gonna hear your, uh, da- da- I guess, dulcet tones. <laughs> I have the three p. I have the three p.m. call with my guy, Leaf Shiras, and uh, we are calling Vegas and Springfield which has important implications for Vegas. So um, actually for Springfield, because Springfield is not eliminated from the playoffs just yet. So uh, it's a big match and I uh, can't wait. So yeah, tune in. We'll be on the tennis channel live and uh, catch your boy on there. It's Vegas versus Springfield in a battle for relegation. Springfield 3-8 <laughs> and eight at this point. The Rollers 4-8. and eight. It's going to be a thriller. You don't want to miss it. That's 3 p.m. ESPN 2. Mark Lucero. No, no, Tennis Channel. Tennis Channel. Oh, tennis, tennis Channel, channel ESPN 2. It's all similar in my mind. The point is, yeah, uh, Tennis Channel, uh, again, our friends at Tennis Channel, uh, you'll be able to hear Coach Lucero on the call. Coach, thank you, as always, for taking the time to chat. It never ceases to be a pleasure. That's why you're a Cracked Rackets returning champion. So you know the seat is always open for you. Hey, thanks, man. And uh, I know you're in Michigan. So just, you know, looking at Twitter, at certain accounts, uh, stay safe. I heard it's really uh, scary over there right now. And, uh, you know, um, thinking about you and uh, watch some tennis this week, man. I appreciate that. You know, I always say you can take the boy out of Michigan, but you can't take the Michigan out of the boy. And so <laughs> I always say this is such a stupid theory. And folks, do not subscribe to this theory. This is why I am who I am. If I ever get into any sort of conflict, I, you know, this is why I'm also not a gun person. I don't think that's going to surprise you, Mark. But my theory is always, look, if I can't get out of it with my charm and my wit, then I deserve to be killed because I'm not as charming and I'm not as smart and not as, you know, all these things as charismatic as I thought I was. Because I'll be like, sir, 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 I know you have a knife or a gun, but I'm not the person you want to do this to. Like, I will give you the best 15-minute joke experience of your life. Just please, please, please don't shoot me. 
And he'll be like, wow, that's a really compelling case. Alex, give me some of your stand-up. And then I'll be like, so uh, what's the best time to see a dentist? And he'll be like, I don't know. And I'll say 2.30. And he'll be like, oh, my God, this guy, kill him. Bang. And it's over for me. Anyways, that's exactly where you expected this podcast to go. So, Coach Lucero, thank you as always. It will never stop to be a pleasure. Talk to you later. Thank you. Yep. Yep, take it easy. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the one and only Mark Lucero. And again, a huge shout out to him for taking the time to join us these past couple of weeks. Always appreciate getting to talk to someone on the ground at an event. And again, if you want to hear more from Coach Lucero, listen to him on the play-by-play, whether it be you know Tennis Channel today at 3 p.m. or ESPN2, CBS Sports. Uh, It's been so cool, again, to get to watch this World Team Tennis season, and there's just an energy around it this year that I feel like when I say that, it feels like I'm demeaning prior World Team Tennis seasons, and that's just not the case. Now, certainly, we are all aware uh, this season is happening under extraordinary circumstances, and there aren't other ATP, WTA, ITF events going on right now throughout the tennis world to capture the attention of tennis fans, but it's also quite clear that these players are invested in a way that they haven't been before, that they're so excited to return to the court to compete in this sort of action, to be around teammates. And, you know, that's really delightful for us as tennis fans. It proves that whatever World Team Tennis is doing is working, and it's just something to note. So, again, as always, a huge shout-out to Carlos Silva and the World Team Tennis organization for being able to pull off this sort of event, particularly, again, given all of the circumstances going on across the globe. And look, those circumstances are something we will continue to monitor here throughout the week on the mini break as we ponder whether it's even logistically possible for events of international nature, you know, events like uh, the ATP, WTA, ITF tours for them to actually restart as they are tentatively planned to do in August. You know, we learned again about the Chinese portion of the year being canceled, but we've still got a three-week swing in New York that there are more questions surrounding than answers at this point. So, of course, that's the biggest storyline we will be following as the entry lists become available for events such as Palermo and Western and Southern and the U.S. Open. We will talk about those entry lists, discuss, you know, any notable players that are or are not absent from that list uh, because we're planning on rock and rolling here at the mini break. As I mentioned, I may be in Michigan, but that is no reason uh, to expect our Cracked Rackets content to dip at all. And so if you're listening, you know, you're looking for your everyday fix. Of course, you can turn to this mini break podcast. You can also turn to our ace of the day on the Great Shot podcast brought to you by our friends at DraftKings, where we try and get in on the action. We take advantage of the fact that our friends at DraftKings offering, you know, risk-free first bets and uh, matching your deposits, opening up an account on their website. And, you know, we're all tennis players still at heart, right? We want to get in on the action. So be sure to listen out for those aces of the day. Of course, on the Cracked Interviews podcast, we're still rolling out so many of the great episodes we were able to record while we were down in Miami and Nicholasville for a couple of exhibition events. You talk about the most recent interviews we've done. I know the J.C. Aragoni interview we did was released as a mini break here on Friday, but cracked interviews-wise, conversations with Jeannie Bouchard, Riley Opelka, Shelby Rogers, all already available. And then, of course, the excellent conversations we've had with people like Eric Sock and Katrina Scott, Ross Wilson, Ashley Fisher, Sam Riffis, 
Oliver Crawford. I can go on and on and on. We've been so fortunate to have so many great conversations. You can hear all of them by liking, rating, subscribing, reviewing this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, as well as our Inside Out Podcast. And if you want to see any of those videos we did from Miami and Nicholasville, those interviews in person, uh, you see the video of them since we did those interviews in person, go check out our YouTube channel, of course. Click that subscribe button. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job we do. We keep them busy here at Cracked Rackets, and of course, that's such a, you know, that's why we uh, we get to do what we do, because they always respond, and they're always able to, you know, come up with good, or I guess turn all of our content into gold. So shout out to the both of them. And again, if you have missed any of that content, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, for the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, it's at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, which I always appreciate when some of you do. I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our Patreon subscribers for their continued support. Keep sending in those questions for our next Patreon mailbag-only subscription. I know my parents, since I'm home, they both happen to be Patreon subscribers. I suppose at a larger point, they're just subscribers to me at this point. They've invested too much, right? They're like, we're waiting for that ROI. And at this point, we've invested enough that we were committed to the bit. Uh, we're committed to the product. Anyways, it's nice to refer to myself as a product. The point being, uh, they are sending in their questions. My dad's like, oh, my first question from Michael G. in Franklin, Michigan. When are you going to go to law school, Alex? You know, and he thought he was being funny when he asked that question and to him. I just said, um, but, you know, that's that's the sort of fun we want to have on our Patreon mailbag. So if that's something you are interested in, obviously send in your questions if you are a Patreon subscriber. If you are not, but you are interested in that, or you just want to send in questions in general, again, feel free to fly into my DMs at Great Shot Pod. But with all of that being said, again, a huge shout-out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to AeroBar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. For our friends at Midwest Sports and AeroBar, our wonderful guest, Mark Lucero, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.